Welcome to Riley on Film. I'm your host, Damian Riley. You can find out more and subscribe for free always at RileyOnFilm.com. Now, on with the show. Rosemary's Baby. Today, this is our topic of discussion. Uh, I think discussion actually starts with DI, which means two. So it's technically not a discussion, but if you want to leave me comments, we can go back and forth that way. People don't usually do that, so I'm not holding my breath. But if you'd like to go back and forth with me, you may. My email is rileyonfilm at gmail.com. You can DM or mention me on Twitter at the DR Podcast. That is my handle on Twitter. Ruth Gordon, Sidney Blackmer, Morris Evans, and Ralph Bellamy. Written for the screen and directed by Roman Polanski. From the best-selling novel by Ira Levin. Suggested for mature audiences. So, more correctly stated, this is my monologue on Rosemary's Baby came out a long time ago, 1968. So this movie is actually one year older than me. I was born in 1969, so I would say it's kind of an oldie. But of course, I think it's a goodie. Most of the movies that you listen to on this podcast are movies that made the cut with me that I really liked. And I wanted to talk about this one today. Because I have said a lot about it in terms of the origin for so many things in the modern movie Hereditary. And I feel that things were not necessarily stolen, but heavily borrowed, especially in the end segments. The stuff toward the end, probably the last fourth of the film. A lot of it just comes directly, I think, from the inspiration of Rosemary's Baby. So you can be the judge. I'm doing this film as a full walkthrough, which means I take you through every detail of the movie. Well, not every detail, but every detail that I think is relevant or interesting. 
So that entails inherently some spoilers. The director here is Roman Polanski. And I will read his bio in just a minute. But before I do that, I want to just give a little synopsis of the movie. Rosemary's Baby. A young couple moves into an apartment only to be surrounded by peculiar neighbors and occurrences. When the wife becomes mysteriously pregnant, paranoia over the safety of her unborn child begins to control her life. Let's look at Roman Polanski. I think if you are a film fan, you've heard his name a lot. If you're not a film fan, uh, die hard, like a podcaster about movies or a blogger about movies or a professional film critic, then uh, you may have not heard about him, but he is quite famous in those circles. Roman Polanski is a Polish film director, producer, writer, and actor. Having made films in Poland, Britain, France, and the USA, he is considered one of the few truly international filmmakers. Roman Polanski was born in Paris in 1933. It's quite a while ago. My dad was born in 1945, so he's got my dad by about, what, uh, 12 years or so? His parents returned to Poland from France in 1936, three years before World War II began. On Germany's invasion in 1939, as a family of mostly Jewish heritage, they were all sent to the Krakow ghetto. Now, before I read any further, I don't know if I'm going to read the whole thing. It's pretty long. You can find it on the Internet Movie Database page for his uh, personal page. There is some controversy surrounding Roman Polanski, and it has to do with uh, child molestation and rape charges. And he fled to France, I believe, to get away from them in the United States. In 1968, Polanski went to Hollywood where he made the psychological thriller Rosemary's Baby that we're talking about today. However, after the brutal murder of his wife, Sharon Tate, by the Manson family in 1969, the director decided to return to Europe. In 1974, he made, again, a U.S. release. It was Chinatown, 1974. It seemed the beginning of a promising Hollywood career, but after his conviction for the sodomy of a 13-year-old girl, Polanski fled from the USA to avoid prison. After Tess, 1979, which was awarded several Oscars and Caesars, his works in the 1980s and 1990s became intermittent and rarely approached the caliber of his earlier films. It wasn't until The Pianist, 2002, that Polanski came back to full form. For that movie, he won nearly all the important film awards, including the Oscar for Best Director, Cannes Film Festival's Palme d'Or, the BAFTA, and Caesar Award. He still likes to act in the films of other directors, sometimes with interesting results, as in A Pure Formality, 1994. I mention a little of his history. Certainly it's not all of his history, but the important parts, I think. He has the control. His people have the control of what goes into that biography. So that's what they, I'm pretty sure that's what they want uh, listed about him. I don't think anybody would request that you put the you yourself were guilty of sodomizing a 13-year-old girl, but, you know, that, that may not be the case. But anyhow, I know people who are low-level actors and animators, and I know a few people that actually have their names on Internet Movie Database, 
and they are able to kind of like Twitter makes you verified account. They're able to verify who they are and then they actually get a username and password. They can go in and they can change information on their bio. So he probably hasn't done that. Someone else probably did that for him, which is too bad because, uh, you know, probably wouldn't want that in there. But then again, for the good of all mankind, if he is guilty of that, which apparently he is, it's probably good that it's there because that's part of history and it's a pretty terrible thing that he did and was convicted of. So I give you that for what it's worth. With that really weird, bizarre, perverse thing, we go into this film. The writers were Ira Levine and Roman Polanski. Ira Levine wrote the novel. And Roman Polanski wrote the screenplay. I'll tell you right now, it's about a satanic thing. Uh, at, just as Hereditary is. It stars a very young Mia Farrow, John Cassavetes, Ruth Gordon, and a host of other people that maybe weren't famous at the time, but have gone on to become famous. Ralph Bellamy, Patsy Kelly, Elijah Cook Jr., Charles Grodin is in this. So... You have a a cast of characters in this horror film that did a lot of stuff afterwards. I think being in a Roman Polanski film, even now, is like a prestigious thing, even though what he did was so horrible. So I want to look at what a few people thought about it who really liked it. So I'm going to go into Internet Movie Database's user reviews area. And I'm going to look at a couple. I want to start with somebody who just loved it. So I'll start with a 10 out of 10. Who gave this film 10 stars? This is Polanski's Baby. When people talk about perfect films, I don't actually know what they mean. Perfect for whom? Perfect compared to what? I think the perfection is in the brain and the heart of the beholder. Rosemary's Baby is a perfect film to me. It's scary in a way that makes you breathless. You're thinking and feeling throughout the film. One of the many sides of Polanski's genius is to suggest. And what he suggests is so monstrous that we don't want to believe it, but we do. The characters are so perfectly drawn that there is no cheating involved. John Cassavetes' superb study in selfishness and egomaniacal frustration is so real that comes no surprise that he could do what he does to advance his career. But are we surprised? We're horrified. The spectacular Ruth Gordon and Cindy Blackmer are not Deborah Kerr and David Nevin, are they? So that they turn out to be what they turn out to be is totally believable. But Polanski presents it in such a light of normality that you can't believe it. Mia Farrow's predicament is as classic as the boy who cried wolf. And yet, as told by Roman Polanski in The Wonderful Face of Mia Farrow, it's as if we're hearing it, seeing it, and living it for the first time. Every silence, every voice in the distance, every door opening, your heart is always in your throat. There's something there that accelerates a constant state of dread. Very few movies have been able to do that or take me to that place. Most of them by Roma Polanski. What about The Tenant or Repulsion? Other movies that come to mind, David Lynch's Eraserhead and Martin Donovan's Apartment Zero. But Rosemary's Baby stands alone as a terrifying masterpiece. I haven't heard about Apartment Zero, so pardon me while I add it to my watch list. Okay, Apartment Zero added up. Okay, let's look at another one that really loved it. 
Here's one that says by a person named Spleen. Wonderful username. 10 out of 10. Reassuring to find it's very every bit as good as its staunchest champions would have you believe. By the way, I am a staunch champion of this movie. Pretty much any movie that I talk about on my podcast, I'm a staunch champion of. I don't usually do rants very much, mostly just raves. Why aren't the horror directors of today as careful with their scripts as Polanski was? Not that this is really horror. Horror as we know it came into being with the slasher flicks of the late 1970s and early 80s. Rosemary's Baby is rather the kind of thing that the term dark fantasy was coined to describe. By people of taste who noticed that the word horror promised audiences something distinctly unpleasant and nasty. The film's construction is marvelous. Things start slow, one beat so to speak, to a bar and gradually pick up speed so that by the end we are nervously tapping out semi-quavers with our feet. Polanski also understands the gentle art of hint dropping. Many events are filed away as tiny puzzles to be solved later. And they are solved later. Others we don't attach any particular significance to at the time. Polanski invites us to reinterpret and in retrospect and chooses the right moment to let us do so. And then at the end, after we've worked everything out, he presents us with a surprise, a delightful, gratuitous twist, which nothing had prepared us for, which we couldn't have guessed, yet which doesn't cancel out the story as we'd understood it. Alas, many people know what this surprise is in advance, I for one. Yet this foreknowledge did nothing to spoil my enjoyment, a sure sign of superb construction. All in all, a film that tempts you to rank it with the best ever made, which is more, but not much more than it deserves. Simply because it's perfect. Everything went right. Rosemary is a wonderfully sympathetic heroine, powerless without being passive, largely ignorant of what's going on around her without being at all stupid, and Mia Farrow makes you care deeply about her. The cinematography is pellicid. The art direction is subtly right. There's also a fine, odd, yet tuneful musical score. I can't believe I waited so long to see this. Okay, I agree with all that. Very well said. Now let's look at somebody who didn't like it that much. Let's go to a one star. Okay, brace yourself. This is a one out of ten. TBO7 wrote this. It is literally impossible to describe how bad this movie is. Whoa. This can barely be described as a horror movie. More than anything, it's a joke. And a bad one at that. There are only one to two parts that are even remotely creepy. Everything else is predictable and boring. I love a slow burn, but almost nothing happens in this film. And the acting is so bad, it's hard to stay immersed. There are only one to two significant plot developments and they're spaced so far apart that by the second one you don't even care. You just want it to be over. The absolute worst part of the film is that it's told from the perspective of a completely helpless person. Yeah, she gets put in a messed up situation, but she has the IQ of a 12 year old to not be able to get out of it. Literally every time she does something right, she turns around and does five things wrong. It's insufferable to try and cheer for this dope. And if that isn't bad enough, after sitting through this incredibly frustrating film, 
it gives you an ending that provides no payoff whatsoever. All it does is reinforce the moronic nature of the main character and everything wrong with the movie to begin with. For this to be considered a classic, I can only assume there are a bunch of old-timers reminiscing about the good times and living in denial about films like this. I was excited to watch this movie with all the hype behind it, and I'm not opposed to older movies, but this was just awful. Utterly awful. If you want to see a real movie focused around witchcraft that is actually a horror, and not some bland genre blender, watch The Witch, 2015. It's everything this abomination isn't. Wow, that was honest, and it sounds like he just really didn't like it. He set his mind against it. I think he was probably hoping for more of a hard-hitting movie, and it's not really meant to be like that. But I'll get into more of my opinion on, on how it's not hard-hitting, and how it's still extremely scary. The Witch 2015 is funny, because I could write a really low review of that movie. I didn't really like that movie, so maybe he's just kind of different from me. Let's look at another 1 out of 10. Actually, let's let's cinch it up. Let's go up to a 3 out of 10. Okay, this person is Vishal Subhash. And they say, All that build up to an unsatisfactory ending. I was searching for some great horror movies and this name recurred in several lists. So I went ahead and I saw this movie and I was bitterly disappointed to say the least. The plot is engaging and intriguing at the onset, but the movie has an overall vintage kind of feel which raises your expectations from the film. But as the movie proceeds, you will think like you are up for some unforeseen magic on the celluloid. Like someone is lifting you up to the air to exalt you, but in the end, that someone will let you go. And you will fall flat upon the ground, utterly dissatisfied and dejected. I don't know how this person can come to this conclusion, but I'll continue reading. When it comes to acting in the movie, Mia Farrow has done a fine job. John Cassavetes, on the other hand, is very unconvincing. The chemistry between them seems forced rather than organic. Other actors have done their bit satisfactorily. The story is suitable to be told in novel format only. Although the movie kind of grows on you like someone taking you to the edge of a mountain just so you could appreciate the view. But then, instead, that someone pushes you off the cliff, ending the film, does that pushing off the cliff thing here. The ending just blows a blatant hole in the entire plot and you end up thinking, did I just watch the entire movie for this? Being so highly rated in so many lists on IMDb and elsewhere, I expected a lot more from this movie, but it fell miles short of my expectations. Okay, so there's some ideas from people that loved it and people that hated it. Now, let's get into more of the nuts and bolts of this movie, Rosemary's Baby. Talk about the plot, do a walkthrough, and then I'll give you my final word on this film that I still think is super scary, super creepy, and definitely provided some of the, if not a lot of, the innovation and inspiration for the movie Heredity. So we'll be right back to do that after this break. Please listen carefully. Welcome to the DRP, a.k.a. the Damian Riley Podcast, where a teacher, movie fan, and blogger, that's me, reviews popular movies. Listen and subscribe at thedrpodcast.com or at most places where you can find podcasts. So 
sometimes when looking at a very uh, high quality horror film that perhaps doesn't hit everybody the same way, it's good to not go on emotion. Because one person can have an emotion about it, another person cannot. But that doesn't mean that it's inherently a bad movie. So sometimes I like to look at Wikipedia and see what they have to say about it. Let me read this short intro. Rosemary's Baby is a 1968 American psychological horror film written and directed by Roman Polanski based on Rosemary's Baby by Ira Levine. The cast features Mira Farrow, John Cassavetes, Ruth Gordon, and more. In his feature film debut, we have Charles Grodin. The film chronicles the story of a pregnant woman who suspects that an evil cult wants to take her baby for use in their rituals. Rosemary's Baby deals with themes related to paranoia, women's liberation, Christianity, Catholicism, and the occult. The film earned almost universal acclaim from film critics and won numerous nominations and awards. In 2014, the film was selected for preservation in the National Film Registry by the Library of Congress, being deemed culturally, historically, or aesthetically significant. Before we start our walkthrough, I just want to say a couple things about this film. I think this film is really... A picture of the time. We had women starting to really stand up for liberation. For wanting to make the same amount of money as men. I don't even know if they feel they've gotten to that place yet. I have a feeling they haven't. And so I want to support women any way I can. Because they're just like us men. They're just people. And maybe they're prettier than us. Or maybe they're not as strong as us physically as a whole, but they still deserve the same as men. So in that way, I guess you could say I am pro-women's lib. And you see a lot of that in this film. Mia Farrow is not the best spokesperson for women's lib because she's tongue-tied all the time. She has this scared look on her face. She gets paranoid. She doesn't seem ready to be having a baby. And yet that's what she's doing in this film. Her husband is also an interesting character. I would definitely call him weak. He's somebody that is not able to solve the situations that they're in. In fact, he doesn't even really try to at times. And that's kind of a bummer to see because you want to see a pregnancy taken care of. You want to see a man be able to step in there and make everything right. But that doesn't always happen. So there's a little bit of frustration as I watch this couple go through the film. I think there is a certain level that couples, and women especially, who are pregnant, can relate with in this film because there are all the stages of pregnancy that are shown in this film, only they're done in the form of, you know, an impending monster or some twist that you don't know what's coming like you would see in a horror film. So it's not really a film about pregnancy, but rather it's not a Mary Tyler Moore type film. Oh, let's talk about pregnancy and what goes along with it. Struggles and all. No, they're having those struggles, but it's all in the background of a rated R movie that you know could go anywhere at any time to make it a horror movie. So for that matter, you are on the edge of your seat. I understand some of the critics that we just read that say um, it it lagged a little bit at the beginning. It was hard to get through the story, and you kind of had to hang in there through a lot of waiting and a lot of where the, the questions were not answered. But then the other 
person said, if you recall, that it raises a lot of questions, even small questions, and then it leaves them and then comes back later and totally answers those questions. So you could look at it that way, but it definitely is a mystery, and I think you do have to sort of suspend judgment and just kind of let it wash over you and know that there is something coming, and the movie itself is not a big CGI movie. It's more of a psychological. Okay, let's walk through this. I'll be reading a little bit of the plot and making my commentary as I go. Again, I'd love you to take part in this by uh, DMing me on Twitter. I am the DR podcast there. And you can also email me at Riley on film, R-I-L-E-Y on film at gmail.com. I respond to everything I get. In 1965, Guy and Rosemary Woodhouse move into the Brownford apartment building in New York City. Their friend Hutch tries to dissuade them from taking the apartment, informing them of the Brownford's association with cannibalism and murder. Rosemary meets a young woman, Terry Gianofrio, a recovering drug addict whom many in Roman Castavet, the Woodhouse's elderly new neighbors, took in from the street. As Rosemary admires a pendant necklace the Castavets gave to Terry, she noticed its strange smell. Returning home one night, Guy and Rosemary find that Terry apparently threw herself to her death from the window of the Castavets' seventh floor apartment. Okay, here they have already set the creepy tone. You can't say that there's no creepiness going on in this film. The neighbors, the elderly neighbors are creepy and they're so interested in her and her baby. They give her the necklace. The necklace smells awful. Something's gross. Could it be that they pulled it off a rotting cadaver? They find out that the woman that they let stay with them earlier previously had flung herself off the building and had killed herself. That's a lot of creepiness there. There's a lot of creepiness going on. So I don't really understand people saying that there's none. Rosemary and Guy are quickly befriended by the cast of vets. Minnie gives Terry's pendant to Rosemary, telling her it is a good luck charm, and the odd smell is tannis root. Guy lands a role in a play where the, auth- the actor who was originally cast inexplicably goes blind. Guy suggests to Rosemary that they have a baby. On the night they plan to conceive, Minnie brings them individual cups of chocolate mousse. Rosemary passes out and experiences a dreamlike vision in which she is raped by a demonic presence in front of Guy. The Costavets and the other Brownford tenants, all of them naked. When she wakes, she finds scratches on her body. Guy tells her that he had sex with her while she was unconscious because he did not want to pass up the opportunity for her to conceive. Rosemary learns that she is pregnant and is due on June 28, 1966. She plans to receive obstetric care from Dr. Hill, who is recommended to her by her friend Elise. However, the Castavets insist that she see their good friend, Dr. Abraham Sefferstein, who says that Millie, Minnie, will make Rosemary a daily healthy drink. Okay, some of my comments on this. You know, when my wife was pregnant, I remember we'd go to the park or we'd go out or something and Pregnant women or older women or older men, even older couples, would approach us and they would give us all kinds of advice. So I think this is kind of normal um, for the people to sort of swoop down on them and recommend all these things and recommend the drink and 
recommend that she get pregnant and all this stuff. It's it's pretty common. We we encountered it. It's like a talking point when someone's pregnant because so many people have that shared experience and it opens up for strangers to be able to relate with you right away. And I think that's what's happening here. For the first three months of her pregnancy, Rosemary suffers severe abdominal pains, loses weight, becomes unusually pale, and craves raw meat and chicken liver. When Hutch sees Rosemary's gaunt, Rosemary's gaunt appearance and hears that she is being fed tannis root, he is disturbed enough to do some research. Before he can tell Rosemary his findings, he falls into a coma. Rosemary tells Guy that she plans to see Dr. Hill, which angers Guy. However, the abdominal pains suddenly disappear. Three months later, Hutch dies. Before dying, he manages to briefly regain consciousness, directing his friend Grace Cardiff to give Rosemary a book about witchcraft, along with the cryptic message, The Name is an Anagram. Rosemary deduces that Roman Castavet is really Stephen Marcato, the son of a former resident of the Bramford who was accused of being a Satanist. She suspects her elderly neighbors and Dr. Saperstein are part of the satanic coven with sinister designs for her baby and that guy is cooperating with them in exchange to help in advancing his acting career. So here's my comment on this. This is where the satanism enters into it. We already saw it with her dream, but now it's full-blown. You can actually open your mind up to it to assume that either these people are lying and they're crazy or there really is some type of Satanism involved. And that is what heredity does as well. I'm not really doing a compare-contrast in this episode. I probably could one day, and I, I'm interested in doing that. But if you look at hereditary, it's more toward the half, even more toward the last fourth, that you start to realize that there's something going on with Satanism. Rosemary becomes increasingly disturbed and shares her fears and suspicions with Dr. Hill, who, assuming she is delusional calls Dr. Saperstein and Guy. They tell her that if she cooperates, neither she nor the baby will be harmed. Rosemary goes into labor and is sedated by Dr. Saperstein. When she wakes, she is told the baby has died, which she refuses to believe. In the hall closet, Rosemary discovers a secret door leading into the Castavet's apartment and hears a baby's cries. She finds a congregation made up of the building's tenants, as well as Dr. Saperstein gathered around her newborn son. It is remarked upon by the baby has his father's eyes, to which Rosemary protests that the baby's eyes are nothing like Guy's. So in this scene, we have all these creepy people, just like the dream when she, the demon first had sex with her. We see almost like the baby in a manger scene with Jesus, only it's an antichrist scene, so everything is flipped. It is then explained to Rosemary that Guy is not the child's true father. Her new newborn child, named Adrian, is actually the son of the devil. Roman urges her to become a mother to her son, as the other women are too told. Guy attempts to calm a horrified Rosemary by explaining to her that they will be generously rewarded and that they can conceive a second child that will truly be theirs. Rosemary spits in his face. Minnie tells Rosemary that she should be honored to be the woman chosen to bear a child for satan initially reluctant rosemary goes to the cradle and gently rocks him with a small smile on her face before i close i just want to make a note about hereditary which was a pretty good movie but definitely not as good as i think everybody said it was highly derivative of 70s satanist movies rosemary's baby the omen the visitor 
Three examples of old school scares. The film is crafted after that time and not as much after today's films. The film did well, I had no doubt it would. In the mire of bad films being made that same year, it had not much competition, but I had issues with its convoluted plot and overly busy story t- overly busy storyline. It could have had better impact with a more simplified approach. I watched an interview with the director of Hereditary, and he seems like someone who will continue making good movies. The film had a few creepy images that I will forever treasure. Too bad the story was way too complicated for my simple, hoary love in mind. When the sun comes downstairs and sees a naked man standing there, it reminded me of that final scene in Rosemary's Baby. I loved that. I think if he would have had a simpler story and whittled down the story a bit to a narrow focus, it would have fared better with me. I wanted to love this film, but it was boring at times, and I ended up giving it a 7 out of 10 when all of my friends were giving it a 10 out of 10. But Rosemary's Baby is a classic. I think it's a masterpiece. I think you can watch it multiple times and enjoy it. The building, the clothes, the wardrobe, I should say, and the speaking and the women's lib issues and all the stuff is all reminiscent of 1968 and really does take you back to that time frame. I really enjoyed Rosemary's Baby and I hope you did too. Please listen. Thank you for listening to Riley on Film. I'm your host, Damian Riley. You can find out more and subscribe always for free at RileyOnFilm.com. Now, have a great day.